<laughs> Thank you. Well, that's a pretty enthusiastic welcome, I gotta say. You guys are going to make me turn all red, and then it's not pretty, and it's not going to solve it. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's really good to be here. Really good to be um, in Montreal. Jeff and I have been here um, almost exactly two weeks at 5 o'clock today. We, we will have been in the city for two weeks, um, settling into our apartment and uh, getting to know a little bit of the city and getting to know a little bit of what's happening. And uh, so many of you have welcomed us already, some of you on social media, and some of you have, um, a number of people have hugged us this morning and welcomed us and said, welcome home. And uh, we've been asked over and over again how the transition went and how it went for us to uh, move here and how the move went. And uh, I've heard all kinds of horror stories about moving. How many have heard horror stories about other people's moves? So I was a little nervous. My cousin just moved to the province um, uh, in the summer, and her move, her moving truck was a month late. Yeah, so I was a little nervous. Our moving truck was a day late. I can live with that. And so other than our moving truck being one day late and discovering at 4 in the morning that our air mattress had a hole in it, um, other than those two things, the move went really well. And so we're really glad to be here and uh, just super glad to be part of Evangel. This is a great church, you know. This is a great church. I, I've said that three times now this morning, and people kind of look at me. But I want you to know, I've been here a week. I think it's a great church. And so um, we're going to jump right into the message this morning, which, of course, is in the book of Mark. And you all have been working through this series, Mark It Up, and uh, you all have your books, I'm sure, with you, treasured, and that you're marking up every time. If you don't, maybe bring it with you, because I'm trying to fit in and, and use what's here. And today we're on um, page... Page 64, and it's going to be Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. And the book of Mark, you know, is just this um, fantastic, uh, there's four Gospels that talk about Jesus. And Mark is the shortest one. It's the fastest moving one. And it's the one where you just get to know Jesus. You know, the person, the man. And, and Mark doesn't portray Jesus as some far-off, transcendent, uh, mysterious spiritual being who, who's not accessible. He's not way out there. Uh, this is Jesus. And yes, he's the Son of God. Absolutely, he's the Son of God, but fully human. His, his feet get sore and tired when he's been walking a long time. He, um, he shows emotion at different times. He's joyful. Uh, he's a person that gets invited to parties, and so you know he's, he's easy to get along with and, and uh, has a sense of humor. He's a person that has sadness sometimes. He's a person that shows frustration sometimes. And he's, he's, just, he's just a person. And he cares so much about people. When you look in the book of Mark and you see Jesus, he just, he just cares for people, especially the ones that are on the margins, whether it's because they're women, which in his culture was not, you know, they weren't honored as highly, Jesus honored them. If it was people um, who were ill or had a disability or people who were poor or people who, for whatever reason, didn't fit in with the crowd, they, they were more in the margins, Jesus just, he just cared about them and he loved them. But then when he came ever come across, um, you know, religious legalism or elitism or any of that, that just... He had no time for that, no tolerance for that at all. This is the kind of guy that Jesus was, and amazing things happened when Jesus was around. People got healed when Jesus was around, and, and evil spirits got banished 
when Jesus was around. And people's lives were deeply impacted and changed when Jesus was around. And, and so when you're around Jesus, sometimes there's controversy and sometimes there's crowds and sometimes there's these intimate moments, just him and, and a few of his followers that are the most committed to following him. And, and, and there's this whole thing. And one of the things that I really love about Jesus and that we're going to see in, this, in the scripture today is that Jesus teaches faith as he goes. As life happens, as he walks through life, he just brings faith into it. He brings his teaching into it. He doesn't sit off in a corner and just do the talking and teaching and then live an entirely different way. He, there's no separation with Jesus between what he says and what he does. His faith is fully integrated with life walks it out. And he just teaches his disciples as they go, as they're walking down a road or as they're eating or as they're in a boat. He just takes those moments and teaches them about faith and integrates it into life. So we've been walking through this whole series with the book of Mark. And now today we're on Mark chapter 10 and and now they're on their way to Jerusalem. And so let's, let's look at the story. Here's how it starts. It says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed And those who followed were afraid. Now, you have to, I'm going to pause here. I pause a lot. I'm big on using imagination. You got to picture this, right? So there's a road. Let's let's say the road's just going right over here, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. And there's different people that are walking along the road, lots of people going along, um, because there's Passover is coming. And that's going to be in Jerusalem. And so there's pilgrims that are walking along. And they would be going to Jerusalem anyway. They might be near Jesus at this moment because they are interested in him and they're kind of following him. But they would be going to Jerusalem anyway. And that's that's why Jesus is going. That's why the disciples are going. And so you kind of picture it's not a parade. It's not a formal procession of any kind. It's, there's Jesus. He's walking along. It says he's a little bit ahead of everyone. He's off by himself a bit. And, and his disciples are maybe like here, about 12 of them. And they're, they're following along behind him because he's their rabbi, their teacher. And then there's a crowd just all the way along the road. And they're all heading towards Jerusalem. Are you picturing that? Everybody got that in your heads? Okay, three of you do. That's awesome. And so uh, we don't know. It says in there that they were amazed and afraid. I circled that in my book. I thought those were odd words. We don't know why they were amazed and afraid. There's nothing amazing or fearful going on yet. They, they're just going to Jerusalem. They've been to Jerusalem before. There's nothing amazing or fearful about that. Um, it's, not, it's not unusual for a rabbi to walk a little bit ahead of his disciples. That happens sometimes, so that's a normal thing. And it's not really amazing or, or frightening if somebody detaches from the crowd for a few minutes and walks on their own. Does anybody here ever do that? You detach from the crowd, have your own space? Well, I do, and, and I do that. And so there's nothing that's particularly amazing or fearful. So we don't really know why it says that they were amazed or afraid. And the best... Um, thought that I can give you of why that's happening is it would seem that they somehow knew something was up. You know when you're walking along and you have a vague sense of something. 
Something's coming. There's an anticipation of something. You can, maybe they can see that, that Jesus has something on his mind. There's something going on with him. And, and he's been talking about different things. And, and you know, you can tell he's been, he's been talking about the kingdom. He's been using words like eternity and eternal life. He's been talking about change that might be coming. And so maybe they can feel that something is coming as they walk down this road towards Jerusalem. And people are a little bit just watching. And maybe they can see that Jesus is a little bit preoccupied as he goes along. You know when you can tell somebody that you know really well and, and you can tell when something's on their mind? I could do that with Jeff. We've been married almost 24 years. And there's times that I can say, I know. And there's times that I can say to him, you know, Jeff, is there something wrong? Is something bugging you? And inevitably he goes, no, I'm fine. And I go, no, you're not. Because I know, right? When you know somebody well, you can tell if something's bugging them or something's on their mind if they're preoccupied. And so maybe the disciples can tell, and, and maybe they're checking in, and maybe they, they kind of catch up to them a little bit on the road, and they go, hey, Jesus, you okay? Is there, is there anything wrong? Is there anything? Do you have something on your mind? And they maybe check in with them a little bit. And it turns out Jesus actually does have something on his mind, and he decides to bring them into it and let them know what it is. And so he says in verse 33, well, see, taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they'll condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he'll rise. Well, that's kind of huge. Jesus, you doing okay? Anything on your mind? Actually, yeah. Uh, We're on our way to Jerusalem, and when we get there, I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders, and I'm going to be condemned to death, and then I'm going to be mocked and spit on and beaten and killed. And then in three days, I'm going to rise. So, yeah, I, I kind of have something on my mind. I mean, what, what would you say in response to that if you were one of the disciples? Um, hang in there? What, what are you going to say? But that's what was on his mind. That's what Jesus was thinking about as he's walking along by himself. He's thinking about what's coming. He's thinking about the pain and the sacrifice and the suffering that's coming. And he's knowing that he's tried to tell his disciples about it before and explain to them what's coming. And they didn't get it. And so now he's going to try and tell them again. And they're still not going to get it. And then it's going to get to a point where it's all going to unfold. And it's going to be so hard for them and so fearful for them. And he's worried about them. And he's hoping they're going to be okay. And it's weighing on him. He's feeling the weight of it. like you or I would if we were in that position. And so he tells the disciples this, and and they have no response at all. They they just don't get it. And so they just kind of drift backwards on the road and let him carry on by himself, let Jesus walk by himself again. But, you know, they know that something's coming. And they know it's coming. They're pretty sure it's happening in Jerusalem. And Jesus along the way has used words about kingdom and glory, and something like that, you know, before. And they've definitely heard something about a kingdom in there. And so, you know, there's no time like the present to drop a few hints, right? And so James and John, they've been thinking about this. And they take this opportunity, and they casually stroll a little faster, and they catch up to Jesus, and they say, it says in verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, and they said to him, ready? Teacher, 
we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Can I just tell you, I don't even know what to do with that. I don't even know how to respond to that. I was thinking about this and I thought, okay, someday, most of you here, you're going to meet my mom because my parents will come and visit here. And you'll know who my mother is because she looks exactly like me. And my mom is this very gracious person. She's the epitome of gracious manners. She's, she's one of these people that knows what to say and when to say it. She knows when not to say something, which is also a skill that is very valuable. And she's cheerful and she's loving and she's kind. And she doesn't get annoyed very easily or very often. She doesn't get irked very often. But when she does... <laughs> When my mom gets annoyed, it's probably because somebody has acted presumptuously. They, you know, when somebody acts as if the whole world is about them, and they put demands on everybody else, and there's this arrogant oblivion to anything else that's going around them. And if she sees that happen, and if she knows you well enough to let you see her reaction, you will see one eyebrow go up, and then her lips will get sucked in, And her chin goes back, and she has a few choice words, thank you very much, to express how she feels about what they're doing. That's my mother. If my mom had been there on that road when James and John came and asked Jesus that question, I assure you she would have had a few choice words for them. Right? Look what happened. Hey, Jesus, are you doing okay? Do you have something on your mind? Well, actually, I'm just, it's really weighing on me. We're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be beaten and condemned to death, and I'm going to die there, and it's really weighing on me. Listen, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Excuse me? Like, pardon me. And so Jesus puts his own thoughts to the side because he's gracious. And, and he just says, okay, well, why don't we narrow that down, that whatever we ask thing. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Now, let me just ask you, in this book that you have, or when you've been watching the scriptures go by on the screen, in verses 33 and 34, when Jesus explained what was going to happen in Jerusalem, did you hear anything, anything at all, about something wonderful happening where a seat of power was going to be established, or a throne of some kind, and there would be seats on either side for really important people, VIPs, and it was going to be all wonderful and glorious? Was there anything in that about what Jesus said? No! There's nothing. That's not what he said at all. There's no indication that they understand anything that's going on. They understand nothing. They're, they're, they're following nothing. And, and I'll give them points. Good on them for having enough faith to believe that something actually is going to happen when they get to Jerusalem, that Jesus is going to do something. He's going to bring something to pass. So good on them for having enough faith to trust that that might be true. But they're not tracking with him at all. And, and Jesus calls them on it. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we're able. Yes. Now in the Greek, the original language, which is what this book was written in, that, that we are able is one word, one word answer. So when he said, you know, are you able to to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the... They said, yep. 
And we can't tell because we can't tell the tone of voice. So we don't know if it was a really arrogant, flippant response, one word response that was just, yeah, of course, were you thinking? Or if maybe they got suddenly sobered by Jesus' tone of voice and the words that he was using and went, yeah, we don't know. It's possible that they suddenly got taken aback by that and got a little bit sobered by what he said because they would know what we call Old Testament scripture and they would know that the, uh, were the, the ideas of cup and baptism were often used in scripture in the Old Testament to talk about sacrifice or to talk about suffering or to talk about um, God's judgment being poured out where there's injustice and wrongdoing. And so it's possible that they got kind of caught by that tone of voice when Jesus said that and when he made reference to a cup and a baptism but at that point it's not like they can stand there and go oh yeah no we're not up for that they can't do that so they said yeah yeah and Jesus said to them well the cup that I drink you will drink and with the baptism with which I'm baptized you will be baptized but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And I think that brings us right back to what Jesus had on his mind as he's walking down that road. He knows the pain that's coming. He knows the sacrifice that's coming. He knows they don't know what they're asking. He knows they don't understand what it is that they're asking for. But the answer's going to come, and they're not going to understand it when that answer does come. And Jesus knows it's not his to give what they request, because, not because he can't, but because he's voluntarily submitted himself to the Father on this journey. He's not going to go past that authority. So these two, they drop back. They kind of rejoin the other disciples. And we're not quite sure what happened next. They, they, the answer they got from Jesus wasn't quite what they were hoping for, but it is what it is. And so they drop back. And then maybe now Philip looks at Andrew, one of the other, couple of the other disciples, kind of elbows him and looks at James and John and goes, uh, what do you think that was about? I don't know. Maybe they went up to um, James and John and said, so uh, had a little conversation with Jesus there, did you? You want to share it with the class? Tell us what the rest of us, what that was about. And somehow it finally comes out. James and John go, well, we're the ones that are closest to Jesus. And so we went up to him and we asked uh, if we could have the two most important positions in his kingdom. And as you can imagine, that did not go over well. It says in verse 41, when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Isn't that a great word? Indignant. It involves a little head toss and a little, you know, indignant they were indignant with James and John and 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 don't kid yourself it's not because the other 10 understood the principles of Jesus so thoroughly and and understood all about serving it's not because of that and they just were shocked that James and John didn't understand how Jesus kingdom worked no it's probably they probably tried to mask it as righteous indignation which none of us would ever do but they they probably wanted the same thing And they're just ticked off because they were going to ask Jesus for that important spot. And James and John beat them to it. And so very, very human, these followers of Jesus. Regular people with a lot of bumps. You know, very, very human. And probably on that road, he's probably walking along and he can hear them bickering behind him. 
me, 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 going on and on. Or maybe he had his cell phone with him and it showed up in his Twitter feed, you know, because social media is the place where you have a good fight with somebody. And so this is all happening. And this is where we see Jesus again, just taking the moment that's happening in life and using it to teach them, using it to tell them, help them understand about their faith as they do life together. And it says, And Jesus called them to him, right there on the road, as they walked along. He said to them, You know, those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they just keep walking down the road to Jerusalem. Now here's what I want you to notice. Because it's all going to tie together. It's all going to come together. Remember we said that Jesus doesn't just talk it, he walks it. He uses, he fully integrates faith with real life. And it's amazing how this all ties together because Jesus is not only teaching them, he's not only telling them the principles of the kingdom, he's about to show them that principle. He's about to show them the principle. We're not here to be served, but to serve. And they don't even know that that's about to to happen. But the thing is, in Jesus' world... And in Jesus' kingdom, in the way that God works, the power structures are right upside down. They're flipped right on their heads. And power is not something to be grabbed at. And he's told them this before in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. You probably heard about it a few weeks ago, where they literally, they were on another road, and the disciples were walking around, literally arguing over who was the greatest. I can't even imagine what that's like. Grown men, well, I'm the greatest. No, I don't think you are. I believe I'm more important than you. Uh, Excuse me, I'm more important than you are. Could you imagine? Grown men having that conversation. But they did in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. And when that happened, Jesus interrupted them and said, Hey, excuse me. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last. And he must be the servant of all. So he's told them this before. And now he tells them again, and he's just pleading with them to understand. He says, listen, you know, right? You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentile, of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. That's how it works, right? That's how the world works. And he says to them, you know, those who are in charge, you know that those who are in charge, they boss everybody else around and put them in their place and make sure they know to stay in their place. That's how it goes. You know that the ones who have the power get served. And if you are the one who is serving someone, then by definition, that person has more power than you do because you're the one serving them. You know that's how it works, right? But he says, it's not going to be that way with you. Say that with me. It's not going to be that way with you. The principles are different in Jesus' kingdom. They're the opposite. And it's really hard to understand. And it's hard to wrap your mind around and try to stretch it for that to happen. But that whole corporate ladder climbing thing, you know, stepping on somebody else to get further ahead or to get above them, that just don't even bother, Jesus says. It's not going to be that way 
with you. And there's no negotiating about it. None. If you want to be great, you serve others. You sacrifice for their good. Which is exactly what Jesus is about to do. That's what's been on his mind the whole time. See, we're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they're going to condemn me to death and deliver me to the Gentiles. And they will mock me and spit on me and flog me and kill me for you. For even I, the Son of Man, even I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's how God's kingdom works. And even Jesus is not exempt from that. So he's not just telling them how it works. He's going to show them how it works. He's going to sacrifice everything for them. And they don't deserve it. This group of people, me, 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 on the road, they don't deserve it. They don't understand it. It's going to be some time before they even understand enough to say thank you. One of them is never going to understand it. He's going to be part of the betrayal and he never will understand what it is that Jesus is trying to do. But Jesus is going to be condemned and mocked and spit on and beaten on and killed for them. The greatest one of all is going to give up everything. For them. You know, they, they did understand it later. After it all had unfolded, after the, the crucifixion had happened and Jesus had risen from the dead and they were trying to wrap their heads around that. And then after they experienced the Holy Spirit, then they started to understand what it was that Jesus had done for them. And then they couldn't wait to tell everyone. And so then you see Peter and he's standing on a street corner in Jerusalem and he's, he's preaching to a crowd who's gathered around and he's telling them about what it is. And maybe some of the people in the crowd had been the same people that had been on that road just a few weeks before of following Jesus and and he's he's standing on the street corner and he says to them in Acts chapter 2 he goes now listen to what I have to say about Jesus from Nazareth God proved that he sent Jesus to you by having him work miracles wonders and signs all of you know this God had already planned and decided that Jesus would be handed over to you so you took him and had evil men put him to death on a cross but God set him free from death and raised him to life. And death could not hold him in its power. All of us can tell you that God has raised Jesus to life. Everyone in Israel should then know for certain that, read it with me, God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, even though you put him to death on a cross. If you want it all in God's kingdom, you give it all. Just like Jesus did. And you go, well, that doesn't sound like a very good deal. Giving everything, sacrificing everything, giving, why would I do that? How, how does that benefit me? I don't like this new pastor. You know, 
can I just tell you that this week, it was my first week here as pastor, and I just learned so much and got to be here in the office. And I was thinking back through the week and trying to remember what was the highlight of the week for me. And uh, it was all good. There were no bad moments. But my favorite moment, I realized, was on Tuesday morning when we had staff meeting. And at staff meeting, um, there's a a new tradition, I guess, um, where one of the staff members will tell their story, just say who they are, tell their testimony, how they met Jesus, where they're at, where they came from, all of that. They take about 15 minutes to do that, which I really appreciate. It helps me get to know people. And so this week, um, the staff member that was telling his story was Ziad. And Ziad is um, our director of operations here and human resources and maybe a host of other things that I don't know yet. But he's just great. And so he was the one telling his story, and he told his story of being Palestinian and being raised in Dubai, and I believe his education was here in Canada, and then he went back home to Dubai, and he talked about how as an adult then, as a young adult, his sister became a follower of Jesus. And the way he described it in staff meeting when he was telling the story, he said, and my sister is, well, she's very pushy. She's a little aggressive. And his sister was coming to him saying, you need to know Jesus. You need to become a follower of Jesus. And Ziad said he, he wanted nothing to do with it. He said, I didn't understand It didn't make any sense to me. I asked questions. The answers didn't make sense. I didn't get it, and and I didn't understand what was happening. And yet that feeling of looking for God wouldn't go away. And he kept sort of just trying to follow it through while at the same time going, this doesn't even make sense. I don't even understand it. And, and until one day it all came together, and, and you, can, you can meet him yourself, and he'll tell you the whole story. But one day it all came together, and even though he still didn't understand it, he just suddenly knew it was right. And it was the thing to do, and he became a follower of Jesus and and gave his life to Jesus. And by the end of Ziad's story on Tuesday morning, we were just in awe. I was sitting there with my jaw hanging open. The passion that he was telling his story with, of his passion for God and what Jesus had done in his life. It was just amazing to me. And I I just was so honored to hear that story. And we all just kind of went silent at the end of his story. And then somebody said, I I have a question. Ziad, you said that you didn't understand. It didn't make sense to you. What was it that you didn't understand? And what would you tell somebody else who's kind of searching for God? And Ziad didn't even hesitate. He just lit right up. And he answered without any hesitation at all. He said, I thought I had to give up too much to follow Jesus. I thought I had to, you know, give up everything that mattered to me in order to be a follower of Jesus. And what I didn't understand was how much Jesus would give me. He said, I gave up nothing. I gained everything. And, you know, those disciples, those ones that were on the same road that day, They eventually came to the same conclusion. And that message that Peter was preaching in Acts 2, Peter talked about it and said Jesus had given everything for them, told them about the promise. And he said, listen, Peter said, turn back to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins will be forgiven. Then you'll be given the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children. It's for everyone. And it's for you. So I'm going to ask you if you would bow your heads at this moment. I find it's helpful if we bow our heads and close our eyes sometimes. It helps us to focus 
and to process a little bit. Because it doesn't seem to me if Jesus was somebody who not only talked his faith but also walked it out, it seems to me that we should also give opportunity to walk out our faith and to figure out what it means in our life, not just talk about what Jesus said and what it is that he taught. And so I just want to talk to some of you today with your heads bowed and just say, I, there might be some people here this morning, and you're in that spot that Ziad was in. You're kind of going, well, I'm here because I'm kind of looking for something. But I, it doesn't make sense to me, and I don't understand it, and I'm afraid I might have to give up too much, and I'm afraid that I'm not good enough, and, and all of that. And I just want to say to you this morning, if that's you, can I just tell you, it's okay. You don't actually have to understand everything in order to come to Jesus. And you certainly don't have, have to have it all together in order to come to Jesus. He made space for bickering disciples. He can make space for you and for me. All he asks is that we just come to him and we'll work out the rest of it later. And he sacrificed everything so that you could. He gave everything so that we could come and be in his kingdom and be one of his followers. And so if you're a person this morning that is saying, I think I'd like to do that. I don't quite get it all. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment, and you can whisper it along with me. You can pray it at any time. I'm going to ask the elders and the ministry team to come up right now and be at the front here, and, and, and you'll be invited if you want to come up and receive prayer from them. And when we say elders and ministry team, we just mean people that are further along the journey and they can help out. It's nothing mysterious. They can come right now. But if that's you, why don't you whisper this prayer along with me? Jesus, I don't really understand all of it. I don't quite get everything that this pastor's saying. And I'm a little bit afraid that I might have to give up too much. And yet, it all feels like this is the right thing. And I've been looking for God. So Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life. And I'm asking you to forgive my sins. I'm asking you to make me clean. And I'm asking you to give me your Holy Spirit just like you did with the disciples. Thank you for sacrificing everything for me. Thank you for coming and serving so that I can be your follower. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a person that's prayed that today for the first time, or maybe you've prayed it before, but it matters this time, I'm going to ask all of us to stand at this moment. And if you just prayed that prayer, come on up to the front and somebody here would be happy to pray with you and connect with you. But all of us stand up. That way it makes room for somebody to get out if they want to. And just hold out your hands. God, we stand here in this attitude of submission this morning. And we just say, God, would you help us as we go, as we finish this service this morning and we go on with our day and we go on with our week we're asking that you would take your word and you would help us to walk it out help us not to be people that just talk about you help us to be people that walk you that fully integrate our faith with our life 
Help us to carry you well, Jesus, to the places that we go this week, to the people with whom we interact. I ask that you would bless and cover every person here. Bring us back safely next week, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to receive prayer, come on up to the front. Somebody here will pray with you. God bless you. Worship team's going to lead us in a song. Have a great week.